Earlier this week, I was trying to come up with a title for this sermon. I was talking with my mom about it, and we were saying, what about longing for God? At this point, my six-year-old brother piped up. Longing for God? He said, what do you mean? Everybody longs for God. He said this very condescendingly, as if unimpressed that I even needed to discuss it. But he's right. I think all of us, at some time, have felt far from God. I remember being at a teen worship service a few years ago, singing praise songs. The band was playing soft music, and the speaker had just delivered a powerful message. I remembered that in the past, this had made me feel close to God, but at the moment, I was feeling farther from God than I had in a long time. It's something we all struggle with, knowing that God is there, but not really feeling that he is close by. It's hard to be aware, every moment of every day, that God is with you, close to you. And maybe we can survive with this feeling of distance for a while, assume that the longing we feel is for a friend, or for a more fulfilling job, an interesting story to occupy our minds. But, as you've likely noticed, even when you attain any of those things, the longing doesn't go away. Maybe it wanes for a while, but before long, it's back again in full force. Longing almost seems to be an integral part of the human condition. There's a quote by C.S. Lewis that says, If we find in ourselves a longing that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. There's not a doubt in my mind that what we are really longing for so desperately and endlessly is God. That's what Psalm 42 is talking about. A deep longing for God, desperate, like deer in the desert, almost on the point of dying from thirst. This image is not supposed to be idyllic. This is not a deer in a lush forest. This is us calling out to God and saying, God, I am dehydrated to the point of death. Everywhere I look, it seems you are not there. And if you are not with me, I will die. This is the kind of longing you feel at the worst, most lonely times of your life. When you got that scary diagnosis, when you had to uproot your life and move to a new place, when your friendship with someone important to you broke apart. What's interesting to notice is that even though we know God, we are not exempt from this longing. This is not a non-believer who feels something missing in their life. This is someone who has known and loved God for a long time, feeling empty and disconnected from God. In fact, the whole situation is made worse by the fact that it was not always like this. In the past, we felt connected to God. We are like the psalmist. We remember going to the house of God with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Maybe it wasn't very long ago. Maybe it's been quite a while and it's starting to feel inescapable. But either way, now we're feeling disconnected from God, looking around and wondering if it's just us, all alone with this aching longing. One of the things that I like about this psalm is that it openly acknowledges that we don't have it all figured out. Things aren't always great. We don't always feel close to God. We all know that the Christian life is not supposed to be easy, but it's reassuring to have someone else write about their intense loneliness and longing for God. It's important to remember that we are not alone in this. Is this longing then inevitable? Are we destined to feel as if we are interacting with God through a wall for as long as we are living on this earth? Is the kind of relationship with God that we want impossible, given our fallen human condition? I'm convinced 
for a number of reasons, that it's not. The most noteworthy being a man named Brother Lawrence. Brother Lawrence was a 17th century monk. He is best known for a collection of his teachings called Practicing the Presence of God. Brother Lawrence said that to be always aware of God's presence, we must be constantly in conversation with him. He communed with God always as he went about his work in the kitchen of the monastery. I think perhaps the most striking thing about this book is the tender language with which he describes his relationship with God. Brother Lawrence is described as loving God incessantly and endearingly. God and Brother Lawrence are described as friends and companions. Numerous times, the book tells of Brother Lawrence saying something to God in the same sort of way you might casually mention something to your friend or make a joke to your spouse about something passing at the time. And he says that there is no sweeter manner of living in the world than continuous communion with God. I can easily believe it. Isn't connection what we most crave? To be known for who we are and loved just the same and never, never abandoned. This kind of relationship should be at its best with God, the all-knowing, unfailing creator of the universe, who is perfect and will never leave us or misunderstand us. So how do we attain this? How do we escape the longing and the loneliness and finally feel the presence of God with us always? I think that's a question we will never stop answering, but there are some concrete pieces to it. The sixth verse of Psalm 42 reads, My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you. From the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, Mount Mizar. I think there's an enormous amount hinging on that word, therefore. It's the idea that you should proclaim God's power and beauty because you do not feel aware of his presence. It's the practice of remembering, saying this is the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and Jacob, the God of David, the God of Peter and Paul, and the God of me. When it feels the most like God is far away, that's when you deliberately remind yourself of who he is, of everything he has done in the past. Brother Lawrence said that the worst trial he could imagine was losing the sense of God's presence, but that he was so confident in God's greatness that he knew God would never leave him entirely. To be honest, the first time I read this book, I found it rather lacking. Specifically, I wanted it to give me concrete, personalized advice on exactly what I should be doing to be closer to God. But of course, this was not the case. I think to some degree, that's because there isn't any one answer. In the same way that there is no one all-encompassing path to becoming friends with a person, there is no one path to becoming friends with God. Every person is unique, and thus every person must find their own way to connect to the Creator. I sometimes like to do things like draw little symbols on my hands so that I'm reminded of God's love when I look at them. Or sometimes I like to just lie down in the grass in silence and feel the earth that God has made. And I think the most important thing to remember is that as much as you are desiring God, He is desiring you. In fact, God wants you even more than you want Him. God doesn't just want you generally as one of millions and millions of people that he has made. He wants you, specifically, with your particular sense of humor, your taste in music, your strengths and weaknesses. And if God, the creator of the universe, the one who went so far as to become flesh and to die for us, wants to be close with you, there's no doubt about the outcome. It's just a matter of when. We need not despair. God will not leave us comfortless. 
But still, there remains the question. If God wants to be close to us, and we want to be close to God, why does this distance remain? I don't have an easy answer to that. It's something I'm trying to figure out. I'm working away at it all the time, as the days and years go by. It comforts me to know that the possibility for a close friendship with God even exists. But I'm very impatient, and I want it now. One thing I've been thinking about a lot lately that I feel relates to this question is the story of how Brother Lawrence converted. This story is so important that it's placed on the very first page of the book. According to the story, it all happened one winter day when he was 18, looking at a barren tree. This tree had no leaves or fruits or any sign of life at all. But he knew that in a few months, spring would come, leaves would bud out, followed by flowers and fruit. It says that this gave him a profound impression of God's providence and a great love for him. There are two things about this that really strike me. The first is that it can be seen as a kind of metaphor for our spiritual lives. The same providence that blesses this tree with the assurance of future foliage also blesses us with the promise that our longing will not last forever. We are, many of us, accustomed to think of fallen winter as a sign of death, representing, in some ways, the fall of man. The leaves die and fall away, and everything gets cold. The birds leave, bugs die, and humans and other animals hibernate. The world looks pretty dead, and it's hard to believe that only a few months before, the same barren places were cloaked with color and life. But winter is, in its own way, a metaphor for life. Spring comes again, year after year, without fail, And winter is not the end of everything after all, but just another stage. Maybe you are going through a spiritual winter now, even at this moment, as I am talking to you. Let me assure you, the promise of spring is real. Winter will not last forever. The deer in the desert will find water, and you will be close with God again. The psalmist knows this, saying that his soul is sad and disturbed, and then almost in the same breath, saying that he will, his hope is in God and he will praise him yet again. In fact, he calls God, God my rock, even while asking why, why God, have you forgotten me? The intense pain and longing of this psalm coexists with this kind of calm hope that can only be rooted in assurance of God's good nature. The second thing about this story of Brother Lawrence's conversion that strikes me is how much wisdom he seems to get from this tree. He looks at this barren tree and is so impressed with what it says about God's goodness that his whole life has changed. He is never the same again, all because of a tree in winter, something we've all seen hundreds and hundreds of times. Nature has an endless supply of proverbs waiting for us. In fact, one of the important things to remember when you're feeling alone and far from God is that the world all around you is full of messages from God. Perhaps the robin outside your window, carefully building its nest with twigs, has something to tell you about God's paternal nature and his attention to detail. Or perhaps God is speaking to you through a person that you know, suddenly catching you off guard with the words of truth you most needed to hear. If you're like me, you'd probably like a bolt from the blue, a huge voice from the sky, telling you what you need to do, explaining everything, and most importantly, assuring you that God is near. The story of Paul on the road to Damascus has a certain appeal. The direct and unmistakable communication from the Lord. 
But there's a lot that God has to tell you in less obvious ways. Through flowers and little children, through the taste of chocolate and the richness of colors everywhere. God is much closer than you may think. If you've been looking in the sky for a while and haven't found him there, try looking at the ground down at your feet. Notice how the worms blindly go about their ways without worrying. Perhaps they understand God's closeness and his protection much better than we do. Then, take what you have learned from worms and from the Bible and those with more wisdom than you and proclaim it from the heights of Hermon or perhaps from the hill nearest your house. My favorite part of this psalm is verses 7 and 8. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I love this dual portrayal of God's nature. On the one hand, there's the deep, roaring waterfall of God's love and affection that overwhelms you until you wonder how you haven't just withered away under its strength. If you've ever been swimming in the ocean, you've probably experienced something like this. You're going along, everything is great, then suddenly a huge wave comes out of nowhere and pulls you off your feet. Then your head goes under, and no matter how much you kick, you can't do anything about it, and you probably swallow a lot of seawater. Your life flashes before your eyes, and then you come up again, sputtering and resolving never to leave dry land again. God's love is like that, overpowering, all-consuming, and frankly, sometimes a little bit terrifying, but in a good way. But on the other hand, we have this image of God directing his love throughout the day and singing over you at night. What I picture here is a loving mother tending to her children with all the blessings of the day. And then, when all that is done, singing a lullaby to a worried and afraid child at bedtime. This verse makes me think of us as children, quietly singing God's lullaby all through the night, singing it back to him as a prayer. Perhaps it is this song that the psalmist is proclaiming from the heights of Hermon and Mount Mizar. Perhaps it is this lullaby that we are meant to repeat to ourselves to remind us that God is close, even when it doesn't feel like it. It's interesting to me that this passage is embedded in the middle of this psalm of worry and loneliness. The stool image of God's love as both powerful and gentle is perhaps why the psalmist is so sure that we should put our hope in God, so sure that we will yet be praising him. Our feelings change, we change, but God is constant. I hope it encourages you to know that the God of waterfalls and lullabies is with you, whether it feels like it or not. God loves you with the strength and roar of a wave and the tenderness of a mother, and he is always close by. Please pray with me. God, thank you for your everlasting love and for your presence with us. Please help us to be aware of you and to take comfort in who you are. Amen.